raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. We got a busy 9 o'clock hour here live at the convention center. Kevin Bowen and Jake Query. Devin, our on-site engineer. Nick's rocking. A little camera action as we are live on YouTube as well. Mark Dykton back in studio, and we'll head to the Payless Liquors hotline. He is here in Indianapolis. He's one of our favorites, the great Field Yates, NFL insider for ESPN. Field, where have your ventures taken you downtown Indianapolis outside of the old convention center so far this week? Oh, man, pretty much everywhere it feels like it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Always great to be joining you. So uh, I feel very full. I've had plenty of steaks so far. I've been to St. Elmo's, had my shrimp. So um, I don't know if that makes me sound like a tourist when I say that I just basically (laughs) go to every spot that you'd expect someone to go to when they visit the great city of Indianapolis. But I'll survive if that's how I am being labeled now. Fair enough. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, listen, we like spend all your money here, Field. That's the way we like it, right? Or ESPN um, money. That's right. Hey, let's begin with this. I was talking about this earlier, and I want your perspective on it. Um, we obviously know that there are probably four names that, that are going to be quarterbacks that are going to be taken high in this draft. Does that mean that this is a quarterback-rich draft field, or – does it mean that there aren't necessarily players that jump out at you if you are not of quarterback need, and thus the quarterbacks are going to be taken high just because there aren't necessarily trajectory-changing players at other positions high in this draft? Actually, a really great question, an interesting way to think about the class in general because there are actually multiple factors in play in my estimation. Uh, We know that quarterbacks tend to be thrust up the board just because it's such an important position. It is the most important position in all of sports. You have a great one, you have a chance. Um, When you don't, you find yourself, you know, kind of on the hamster wheel where the Colts uh, have been for the past few years. Um, So there's that factor. But there's also the factor that you alluded to, which is that I don't know that this draft is full of marquee players elsewhere. Right? Like, I don't know that we have 10 guys that are absolute stone cold, no doubt about it, blue chip players that are not quarterbacks. Maybe the, maybe the number is 10, but it may, it may not be 20. And I think in a normal draft, you may be looking at more depth across the board in terms of positional value, not at quarterbacks. So um, I do think that this draft will be defined by the quarterbacks. And I think that that's a stark contract from la- contrast from last year when, of course, there was just one quarterback taken in the first round. It was Kenny Pickett, who was a solid but unspectacular prospect. But, yeah, I think if you're picking in the top ten and you need a quarterback, this actually is a pretty good year to have the needs and the value all aligned. Field, if I threw out quarterbacks go one, two, and three, what percentage would you give that to happen? Ooh, I, maybe not 50-50 just because – and here's the reason why I say that, but – Maybe, maybe it is 50-50, but not much more than that. The reason I say it is that we know Chicago and Arizona aren't going to be taking one, and the question is just how, like, what sort of freight are the teams willing to pay to get up to one and three respectively if we assume that Houston stays at two? Um, and in that circumstance, I would imagine that Indianapolis uh, – I, you know, if, if it happens one, two, three, I think it means that the Colts have either moved up 
for – and if they haven't moved up, by the way, that means that two other teams are paying a major price to move up because the more teams that you have to skip who plausibly need a quarterback, the more expensive the price to move up is. That's just how it's going to be. So right now the reason why the Bears have leverage at the very top of the board is because I believe there is a legitimate case for the Texans to move up, obviously the Colts to move up. You could make the case for Seattle and Detroit to move up the board to ensure that they got a quarterback or the quarterback that they wanted if they decided they wanted to use one of those premium picks, Carolina, Atlanta, et cetera. There's a lot of potential movements. So I don't think it's going to happen one, two, three, but if it does, it'll be good for all our business because it will mean that we have had some wacky trade leading up to it. He's a great field, Yates, NFL insider for ESPN, co-host of the Fantasy Focus Football Podcast. You also hear him on with Mel Kuyper and Tom McShay. He does a great job quarterbacking that podcast this time of year as well. Uh, field focusing on the Bears and probably the biggest news item so far of Combine Week, and that was Jalen Carter and the arrest Carter last night and his involvement in that tragic incident involving the death of two players associated with the Georgia program. How do you view that in regards to Chicago and Arizona? You mentioned Chicago at one and Arizona at three. Arizona do you view the Jalen Carter situation as maybe that removes him from the top five and all of a sudden Will Anderson becomes more of a priority, so maybe Chicago and Arizona won't want to trade back? Or do you view that as now those picks become more available to trade up with because now there isn't another non-quarterback worthy of a top five pick? Yeah, another interesting one there. And I think we all, you know, obviously there's still a lot to unfold with this situation, right? We don't know exactly how it is going to conclude. It is devastatingly sad that, you know, as you mentioned, two people are, are no longer alive. And Jalen Carter uh, did make clear on Twitter that uh, in a statement that he released that he expects to be fully exonerated uh, from any charges. Um, so we'll see how this actually unfolds. Um, so I think I'll stop short of, like, making too many assumptions about how it will or won't go. What I will say, though, is I always remind people that, you know, draft evaluation is like a multi-pronged approach. And you've got the football component of it, which in a lot of cases for all of us is pretty straightforward. Uh, Jalen Carter is one of the most talented players in this year's class. He would have been one of the most talented players in last year's class. And he's probably one of the most talented players in next year's class as well. Um, but – this is a reminder that you're not just investing in the player, you're investing in the human. And if this is um, not, not um, this specific type of behavior where he's involved in, you know, potentially street racing and that could have contributed to a car crash, fatal car crash. Um, but like if, if, if accountability as a trait is something you're concerned with, with a prospect, it does impact his draft stock. So um, I don't know exactly how it's going to all shake out, but it's just a reminder to people that um, we have to, you know, teams have to dig deeper. There are multiple parts of the puzzle that aren't just, okay, well, he's an awesome pass rusher or he's an awesome receiver or he's a great left tackle. There's a lot that goes into it. Field, does it compromise? And, and again, Field Yates is our guest from ESPN. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. I, I want to make very clear, as you did very well there, Field, uh, you know, in, within perspective, we understand the tragedy of the fact that two people lost their life. I mean, that's obviously the real 
um, in terms of this incident with Jalen Carter or his involvement or lack thereof. But that's the, obviously the overwhelming storyline, and that is understood. But from the standpoint of this combine and this draft, does Jalen does question mark about Jalen Carter's value now as the number one overall pick, not as a player, but just all that comes with it? Does that now compromise the leverage that Chicago has with that number one overall now? Because teams can now say to them, hey, listen, you might as well deal with us because what are you going to do? You can take a guy number one overall that, that had to leave the combine to go serve an arrest warrant. Does it hurt in any way, shape, or form Chicago's positioning? I don't think so. And the reason why is that I don't necessarily think that the teams that will be moving up to number one are competing against what Chicago might do. Otherwise, it's competing against the possibility that if you're the Colts, this is an example, and you think that you can not move up all the way to four because uh, you don't know that Chicago's going to get a deal, well, you might have Carolina come up ahead behind you or, or Seattle or Detroit or any of those teams that, as I mentioned before, have a legitimate case to move up. So I mean, maybe it impacts things a tiny bit, um, but – I also am reminded that just because we on the outside sort of view a player or you know, a players as like clear-cut one or clear-cut top two, maybe the league wasn't there yet. So it's possible that how Jermaine, excuse me, that how Jalen Carter was being valued prior to yesterday is different inside the league than how we on the outside of the league uh, were sort of discussing him. So um, I think – Chicago still is in like a fairly strong position of leverage. And it's always also determined by circumstances. You know, I don't know that um, in a different year that a team who has a first year head coach who's been on the job for less than a month would be sort of, you know, they they would be anxious for a quarterback. Um, That being said, obviously the general manager who has been here for a long time is anxious for a quarterback. And so is a, so is the owner. And I know that Chris Ballard has deservedly gotten a strong, uh, you know, vote of support from Jim Irsay, but I'm sure he probably realizes that if he doesn't get a quarterback soon, you know, fans are going to come calling for, for change. And so that might be why Indianapolis as an example, and Houston as an example, even at four and two respectively are saying, we got to get this right this year because we don't have time to waste anymore. Kenny's Field Yates from ESPN. You've heard him on with us before. Gracious with his time here at the Combine on this Thursday morning. You brought up Detroit and Seattle as other teams that could potentially jump Indianapolis um, and get higher into the draft to take a quarterback. I think the first domino in all of this is probably the Derek Carr situation. Um, obviously Aaron Rodgers, but you know Carr's been here in Indy. He's met with teams. Frank Reich talked about him very candidly yesterday. When you think of kind of an ideal landing spot for Derek Carr, wh- where are you? Yeah, I'm assuming somewhere in the NFC South or the Jets. I think the three teams that have been mentioned the most are probably the finalists. And it, I, there's always the possibility of a late entrant into the party, but the Saints, the Panthers, and the Jets seem the most logical candidates. For Derek Carr, he's got familiarity in a couple of those spots. Really, in all those spots, you can make the case for some familiarity. And I think there's a different type of allure for each of them. New Orleans, he has the most familiarity. He would play for Dennis Allen, his prior head coach with the Raiders, even if it was a short tenure uh, with then the Oakland Raiders uh, for Dennis Allen. Uh, Carolina, there's some familiarity as well. There's a case that Carolina would be the obvious NFC South favorite the moment they signed Derek Carr. And then with the Jets, 
maybe the case is it's the best roster elsewhere, elsewhere like amongst those three. But I, I, and I would probably I would answer this question with the question: If the Jets sign Derek Carr right now, I mean Buffalo's still the favorite in that division, right? Like I would, and, and you know you're talking about a conference that has the Chiefs and you know the Chargers on the rise and you know, the Bengals and potentially the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, like. There's a lot of horsepower in the AFC that if I'm Derek Carr and I want to win, it sure feels like the, the path to a playoff spot is uh, less uh, daunting in the NFC than is it, than it is in the AFC. Field Yates is our guest. Field, my last question is this. I, I likened this yesterday to this analogy. When I was in high school and you were applying to colleges, the narrative, at least when I was in school, was – your grade point average and your resume within the high school was like 80% of the decision, and then the SAT score was kind of your tiebreaker. If you were on the fence, a good SAT score could certainly help you but not necessarily hurt you. When it comes to the NFL Combine and this particular weekend or this week, what percent of it is the the measurables in terms of the physical things that guys are doing during a workout, the 40 time, the broad jump, the, the bench press, et cetera. And then what percent of it is the actual interviews and the ability to communicate and show your character with teams? On average, the most important part of this week is the medicals. For, for like, if you were to say, you know, for the 320 guys here, what's the most important part on average, it's the medicals, because in the case of some of them, there are known, you know, physical issues that they're entering the combine with that have to be sorted through. And there are others where it's something that you thought was a thing of the past that all of a sudden is a thing of the present and a concern for the future. Um, and I think beyond that, though, it's a little bit sort of specific to each prospect. Um, so Bryce Young, obviously, you know, the most important part for him is going to be his weight. Honestly, I, I can't recall. Maybe you guys uh, have better, better memory of this, but, like, when was the last time a prospect's weight was talked about as much as Bryce Young's was. And I suppose maybe the answer is Devontae Smith. Uh, but even Devontae Smith, it was like, you know, a wide receiver. So he's getting hit, what, 10 times a game maybe if he gets that many targets. So um, Bryce Young's weight will be a massive question, as will his height. And then you go to other players where, you know, it's a, it's a cornerback that tape tells you he looks like a star, but you're a little concerned if he runs a 4-5 as opposed to a 4-3. So I'd say beyond the medical, it's like definitely prospect specific. Field, last one from me. Um, and again, appreciate your time here on this Thursday morning. Field Yates from ESPN is with us. Uh, you obviously talk to Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay a whole lot, and you do your own homework. We talk so much quarterback, and rightfully so, I guess. But where else do you see draft depth here in 2023? Um, some other positions that you feel like is pretty good depth in this draft class. Yeah, everybody's been talking about the tight end class, which I do agree is, is, is very, very, very good. I don't know that there's – but there's not a Kyle Pitts prospect, and obviously Kyle Pitts had a disappointing year last year. But, you know, there wasn't – it wasn't a question about whether he would go in the top ten. It was would he be the highest tight end ever drafted. Really good tight end group. I think the cornerback group is interesting. I think there's got, like, pretty good flavor, pretty, pretty good, like, differing skill set for each of the top four or five guys. I think the offensive tackle group kind of drops off after the first four or five, but it's pretty good. Pass rushers, you know, we have Will Anderson. We have Tyree Wilson. Uh, we have a couple other guys who could go in the top 15. Again, it sort of depends on which draft analyst or team you are talking to. 
but the, the, the pass rushing group has some good depth as well. So those are some of the spots that I think certainly check the boxes. And then, you know, I think kind of every year we're talking about running back having pretty good depth, right? Part of the reason why, um, you know, the value of a running back uh, in the first round is, is, is sort of depreciating or has depreciated over time. Although I do think there's an excellent chance that B. John Robinson is the highest drafted running back since Saquon Barkley and probably comes close to being worth that pick. Um, but I, I think those are some of the spots that come to mind for me. And Field Yates, you can catch him on first draft. That's Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. And Field does a wonderful job of keeping those two in line as best as possible and getting their terrific insight. And obviously he is all over ESPN. Field, it was great run into you yesterday. Um, hope Indy treats you well this week and safe travels back home. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me on. And uh, thanks to the great city of Indianapolis. I hope that we're here for many, 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 many more years going forward at the combine because there is no more perfect place for it i love hearing that thanks field all right guys take care raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor come to mcdonald's and treat yourself to the grandma mcflurry today and participating mcdonald's for a limited time